Chapter Eighteen of Ruth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Ruth by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gaskell. Chapter Eighteen. Ruth becomes a governess in Mister Bradshaw's family. One afternoon. Not long after this, Mr. and Miss Benson set off to call upon a farmer who attended the chapel but lived at some distance from the town. They intended to stay to tea if they were invited, and Ruth and Sally were left to spend a long afternoon together. At first Sally was busy in her kitchen, and Ruth employed herself in carrying her baby out into the garden. It was now nearly a year since she came to the Bensons. It seemed like yesterday, and yet as if a lifetime had gone between. The flowers were budding now, that were all in bloom when she came down, on the first autumnal morning, into the sunny parlour. The yellow jessamine that was then a tender plant had now taken firm root in the soil and was sending out strong roots. The wallflowers, which Miss Benson had sown on the wall a day or two after her arrival, were scenting the air with their fragrant flowers. Ruth knew every plant now. It seemed as though she had always lived here, and always known the inhabitants of the house. She heard Sally singing her accustomed song in the kitchen, a song she never varied, over her afternoon's work. It began, As I was going to Derby, sir, upon a market day. And if music is a necessary element in a song, perhaps I had better call it by some other name. But the strange change was in Ruth herself. She was conscious of it, though she could not define it, and did not dwell upon it. Life had become significant and full of duty to her. She delighted in the exercise of her intellectual powers, and liked the idea of the infinite amount of which she was ignorant, for it was a grand pleasure to learn, to crave, and be satisfied. She strove to forget what had gone before this last twelve months. She shuddered up from contemplating it. It was like a bad, unholy dream. And yet there was a strange, yearning kind of love for the father of the child whom she pressed to her heart, which came, and she could not bid it be gone as sinful. It was so pure and natural, even when thinking of it as in the sight of God. Little Leonard cooed to the flowers and stretched after their bright colors, and Ruth laid him on the dry turf and pelted him with the gay petals. He chinked and crowed with laughing delight, and clutched at her cap, and pulled it off. Her short, rich curls were golden-brown in the slanting sunlight, and by their very shortness made her more childlike. She hardly seemed as if she could be the mother of the noble babe over whom she knelt, now snatching kisses, now matching his cheek with rose-leaves. All at once the bells of the old church struck the hour, and far away, high up in the air, began slowly to play the old tune 
of life let us cherish they had played it for years for the life of man and it always sounded fresh and strange and aerial ruth was still in a moment she knew not why and the tears came into her eyes as she listened when it was ended she kissed her baby and bade god bless him just then sally came out dressed for the evening with a leisurely look about her she had done her work and she and ruth were to drink tea together in the exquisitely clean kitchen but while the kettle was boiling she came out to enjoy the flowers she gathered a piece of southern wood and stuffed it up her nose by way of smelling it what do you call this in your country asked she old man replied ruth we call it here lad's love it and peppermint drops always reminds me of going to church in the country here i'll get you a black currant leaf to put in the teapot it gives it a flavour we had bees once against this wall but when missus died we forgot to tell em and put em in mourning and in course they swarmed away without our knowing and the next winter came a hard frost and they died now i dare say the water will be boiling and it's time f for little master there to come in for the dew is falling see all the daisies is shutting themselves up sally was most gracious as a hostess she quite put on her company manners to receive ruth in the kitchen they laid leonard to sleep on the sofa in the parlour that they might hear him the more easily and then they sat quietly down to their sewing by the bright kitchen fire sally was as usual the talker and as usual the subject was the family of whom for so many years she had formed a part ay things were different when i was a girl quoth she eggs was thirty for a shilling and butter only sixpence a pound my wage when i came here was but three pound and i did on it and was always clean and tidy which is more than many a lass can say who now gets seven and eight pound a year and tea was kept for an afternoon drink and pudding was eaten afore meat in them days and the upshot was people paid their debts better ay ay we're gone backwards we thinkin we're gone forwards after shaking her head a little over the degeneracy of the times sally returned to a part of the subject on which she thought she had given ruth a wrong idea you'll not go for to think now that i've not more than three pound a year i've a deal above that now first of all old missus gave me four pound for she said i were worth it and i thought in my heart that i were so i took it without more ado but after her death master thurston and miss faith took a fit of spending and says they to me one day as i carried tea in sally we think your wages ought to be raised what matter what you think said i pretty sharp for i thought they'd have shown more respect to missus if they let things stand as they were in her time and they'd gone and moved the sofa away from the wall to where it stands now already that very day so i speaks up sharp and says i as long as i'm content i think it's no business o yours to be meddling with me and my money matters but says miss faith she's always the one to speak first if you'll notice though it's master that comes in and clinches the matter with some reason she'd never have thought of 
he were always a sensible lad. Sally, all the servants in the town have six pound and better, and you have as hard a place as any of em. Did you ever hear me grumble about my work, that you talk about it in that, that way? Wait till I grumble, says I, but don't meddle with me till then. So I flung off in a huff, but in the course of the evening, Master Thurston came in and sat down in the kitchen, and he's such winning ways, he was, one over to anything, and besides, a notion had come into my head. Now you'll not tell, said she, glancing round the room and hitching up her chair nearer to Ruth in a confidential manner. Ruth promised, and Sally went on. I thought I should like to be an heiress with money, and leave it all to Master and Miss Faith and I thought if I'd six pound a year I could, maybe, get to be an heiress. All I was feared on was that some chap or other might marry me for my money, but I've managed to keep the fellows off. So I looks mim and grateful, and I thanks Master Thurston for his offer, and I take the wages. And what do you think I've done? asked Sally, with an exultant air. What have you done? asked Ruth. Why, replied Sally, slowly and emphatically, I've saved thirty pounds, but that's not it. I've gotten a lawyer to make me a will. That's it, wench, said she, slapping Ruth on the back. How did you manage it? asked Ruth. Aye, that was it, said Sally. I thought about it many a night before I hit on the right way. I was afeard the money might be thrown into chancery if I didn't make it all safe, yet I could not ask Master Thurston. At last and at length, John Jackson, the grocer, had a neighbour come to stay a week with him, as was prentice to a lawyer in Liverpool. So now is my time, and here was my lawyer. Wait a minute, I could tell you my story better if I had my will in my hand, and I'll scumfish you if ever you go for to tell. She held up her hand and threatened Ruth as she left the kitchen to fetch the will. When she came back, she brought a parcel tied up in a blue pocket handkerchief. She sat down, squared her knees, untied the handkerchief, and displayed a small piece of parchment. Now, do you know what this is? said she, holding it up. It's parchment, and it's the right stuff to make wills on. People gets into chancery if they don't make them of this stuff, and I reckon Tom Jackson thought he'd have a fresh job on it if he could get it into chancery, for the rascal went and wrote it on a piece of paper at first, and came and read it me out loud off a piece of paper no better than what one writes letters upon. I were up to him, and thinks I, come, come, my lad, I'm not a fool, though you may think so. I know a piece of paper won't stand, but I'll let you run your rig. So I sits and I listens, and would you believe me, he read it out as if it were clear a business as you're giving me that thimble. No more ado, though it were thirty pound, I could understand it myself. That were no law for me. I wanted summit to consider about, and for the meaning to be wrapped up as I wrap up my best gown. So I says, Tom, it's not on parchment. I must have it on parchment. This'll do as well, says he. We'll get it whisked 
witnessed and it will stand good well i like the notion of having it witnessed and for a while that soothed me but after a bit i felt i should like it done according to law and not plain out as anybody might have done it i myself if i could have written so i says tom i must have it on parchment parchment costs money says he very grave oh my lad are ye there thinks i that's the reason i'm clipped of law so says i tom i must have it on parchment i'll pay the money and welcome it's thirty pound and what can i lay to it i'll make it safe it shall be on parchment and i'll tell thee what lad i'll give ye sixpence for every good law word you put in it sounding like and not to be caught up as a person runs your master had need to be ashamed of you as an apprentice if you can't do a thing more tradesmanlike than this well he laughed above a bit but i were firm and stood to it so he made it out on parchment now woman try and read it says she giving it to ruth ruth smiled and began to read sally listened with rapt attention when ruth came to the word testatrix sally stopped her that was the first sixpence said she i thought he was going to fob me off again with plain language but when that word came i out with my sixpence and gave it to him on the spot now go on presently ruth read accruing that was the second sixpence four sixpences it were in all besides six and eightpence as we bargained at first and three and fourpence parchment there that's what i call a will witnessed according to law and all master thurston will be prettily taken in when i die and he finds all his extra wage left back to him but it will teach him it's not so easy as he thinks for to make a woman give up her way the time was now drawing near when little leonard might be weaned the time appointed by all three for ruth to endeavour to support herself in some way more or less independent of mr and miss benson this prospect dwelt much in all of their minds and was in each shaded with some degree of perplexity but they none of them spoke of it for fear of accelerating the event if they had felt clear and determined as to the best course to be pursued they were none of them deficient in courage to commence upon that course at once miss benson would perhaps have objected the most to any alteration in their present daily mode of life but that was because she had the habit of speaking out her thoughts as they arose and she particularly disliked and dreaded change besides this she had felt her heart open out and warm towards the little helpless child in a strong and powerful manner nature had intended her warm instincts to find vent in a mother's duties her heart had yearned after children and made her restless in her childless state without her well knowing why but now 
the delight she experienced in tending, nursing, and contriving for the little boy, even contriving to the point of sacrificing many of her cherished whims, made her happy and satisfied and peaceful. It was more difficult to sacrifice her whims than her comforts, but all had been given up when and where required by the sweet lordly baby who reigned paramount in his very helplessness. From some cause or other an exchange of ministers for one Sunday was to be effected with a neighbouring congregation, and Mr. Benson went on a short absence from home. When he returned on Monday he was met at the house-door by his sister, who had evidently been looking out for him for some time. She stepped out to greet him. "'Don't hurry yourself, Thurston. All's well. Only I wanted to tell you something. Don't fidget yourself. Baby is quite well, bless him. It's only good news. Come into your room and let me talk a little quietly with you.' She drew him into his study, which was near the outer door, and then she took off his coat and put his carpet-bag in a corner and wheeled a chair to the fire before she would begin. "'Well, now.' to think how often things fall out just as we want them, Thurston. Have you not often wondered what was to be done with Ruth when the time came at which we promised her she should earn her living? I am sure you have, because I have so often thought about it myself, and yet I never dared to speak out my fear, because that seemed giving it a shape. And now Mr. Bradshaw has put all to rights. He invited Mr. Jackson to dinner yesterday, just as we were going into chapel, and then he turned to me and asked me if I would come to tea, straight from afternoon chapel, because Mrs. Bradshaw wanted to speak to me. He made it very clear I was not to bring Ruth, and indeed she was only too happy to stay home with baby. And so I went, and Mrs. Bradshaw took me into her bedroom and shut the doors, and said, Mr. Bradshaw had told her that he did not like Jemima being so much confined with the younger ones while they were at their lessons, and that he wanted someone above a nursemaid to sit with them while their masters were there, someone who would see about their learning their lessons, and who would walk out with them, a sort of nursery governess, I think she meant, though she did not say so. And Mr. Bradshaw, for of course I saw his thoughts and words constantly peeping out, though he had told her to speak to me, believed that our Ruth would be the very person. Now, Thurston, don't look so surprised, as if she had never come into your head. I am sure I saw what Mrs. Bradshaw was driving at, long before she came to the point, and I could scarcely keep from smiling and saying, We jump at the proposal, long before I ought to have known anything about it. "'Oh, I wonder what we ought to do,' said Mr. Benson. "'Or, rather, I believe I see what we ought to do, if I durst but do it.' "'Why, what ought we to do?' asked his sister in surprise. "'I ought to go and tell Mr. Bradshaw the whole story.' "'And get Ruth turned out of our house?' said Miss Benson indignantly. "'They can't make us do that,' said her brother. "'I do not think they would try.' Yes, Mr. Bradshaw would try, and he would blazon out poor Ruth's sin, and there would not be a chance for her left. I know him well, Thurston, and why should he be told now, more than a year ago? 
a year ago he did not want to put her in a situation of trust about his children and you think she'll abuse that trust do you you've lived a twelvemonth in the house with ruth and the end of it is you think she will do his children harm besides who encouraged jemima to come to the house so much to see ruth did you not say it would do them both good to see something of each other mr benson sat thinking if you had not known ruth as well as you do if during her stay with us you had marked anything wrong or forward or deceitful or immodest i would say at once don't allow mr bradshaw to take her into his house but still i would say don't tell of her sin and sorrow to so severe a man so unpitiful a judge but here i ask you thurston can you or i or sally quick-eyed as she is say that in any one thing we have had true just occasion to find fault with ruth i don't mean that she is perfect she acts without thinking her temper is sometimes warm and hasty but have we any right to go and injure her prospects for life by p telling mr bradshaw all we know of her errors only sixteen when she did so wrong and never to escape from it all her many years to come to have the despair which would arise from its being known clutching her back into worse sin what harm do you think she can do what is the risk to which you think you are exposing mr bradshaw's children she paused out of breath her eyes glittering with tears of indignation and impatient for an answer that she might knock it to pieces i do not see any danger that can arise said he at length and with slow difficulty as if not fully convinced i have watched ruth and i believe she is pure and truthful and the very sorrow and penitence she has felt the very suffering she has gone through has given her a thoughtful conscientiousness beyond her age that and the care of her baby said miss benson secretly delighted at the tone of her brother's thoughts ah faith that baby you so much dreaded once is turning out a blessing you see said thurston with a faint quite smile yes any one might be thankful and better too for leonard but how could i tell that it would be like him but to return to ruth and mr bradshaw what did you say oh with my feelings of course i was only too glad to accept the proposal and so i told mrs bradshaw then and i afterwards repeated it to mr bradshaw when he asked me if his wife had mentioned their plans they would understand that i must consult you and ruth before it could be considered as finally settled and have you named it to her yes answered miss benson half afraid lest he should think she had been too precipitate and what did she say asked he after a little pause of grave silence at first she seemed very glad and fell into my mood of planning how it should all be managed how sally and i should take care of the baby the hours that she was away at mr bradshaw's but by and by she became silent and thoughtful and knelt down by me and hid her face in my lap and shook a little as if she was crying 
and then I heard her speak in a very low, smothered voice, for her head was still bent down, quite hanging down indeed, so that I could not see her face, so I stooped to listen, and I heard her say, "'Do you think I should be good enough to teach little girls, Miss Benson?' She said it so humbly and fearfully that all I thought of was how to cheer her, and I answered and asked her if she did not hope to be good enough to bring up her own darling to be a brave Christian man. And she lifted up her head, and I saw her eyes looking wild and wet and earnest, and she said, With God's help, that will I try to make my child. And then I said, Ruth, as you strive and as you pray for your own child, you must strive and pray to make Mary and Elizabeth good if you are trusted with them. And she said quite clear, though her face was hidden from me once more, I will strive and I will pray. You would not have any fears, Thurston, if you could have heard and seen her last night. I have no fear, said he decidedly. Let the plan go on. After a minute he added, but I am glad I it was so far arranged before I heard of it my indecision about right and wrong, my perplexity about how far we are to calculate consequences, grows upon me, I fear. You look tired and weary, dear. You should blame your body rather than your conscience at these times. A very dangerous doctrine. The scroll of fate was closed, and they could not foresee the future, and yet, if they could have seen it, though they might have shrunk fearfully at first, they would have smiled and thanked God when all was done and said. End of chapter 18